Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. Before we get into today's interview, please like this episode, subscribe to the channel. These things help bring other people to the show. My guest today is Michael Sholov. Michael got his start in cybersecurity in the Israeli military. He took that into the commercial world, founded a company, sold it to Checkpoint, a pioneer in that space, before founding Fireblocks in New York. Fireblocks likens itself to being the swift of cryptocurrency. It is a provider of plumbing and infrastructure. It has just come off a $133 million Series C funding round, which includes some pretty big heavy hitters uh, writing checks. We spoke about the proceeds, we talked about the partnerships. That cybersecurity background of his is definitely coming into play because cyber attacks remain a huge threat and we talked about the race between trying to make cybersecurity safe for crypto. Lastly, we looked at some of the emerging projects, the stuff he's doing with DM, some of the other really cool stuff going on in this space, and what are the issues around how green can Bitcoin be? But for now, sit back and listen to this conversation with Michael Shalom. Michael, uh, $133 million C raise round. Uh, that's big by any standard. Uh, so congratulations on the race. Uh, what are you going to do with the money? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, so clearly the, the space is now, the, the space that we are playing in is, exp is expanding uh, in a very fast pace. Um, actually much faster than what we've expected. Uh, so just to give uh, people... Um, some some sort of uh, uh, idea in the last quarter. Actually, we just uh, sort of crunched the numbers. Uh, this quarter, we we sort of onboarded uh, or onboarding 106 new customers, right? To to Fireblocks. Uh, this is pretty much the same amount of, of customers that we onboarded last year in 2020. It took us 11 months to basically uh, get to to the same amount. Um, and what kind of customers are we talking about? Um, so that basically includes anything from, you know, small crypto hedge funds to some of the biggest exchanges, all the market makers, uh, neo banks and fintech companies, and eventually also banks like, uh, for example, uh, you know, Bonnie and, and other banks that we are uh, working with. So really pretty much, you know, from the the you know the biggest players in the market or or maybe like you know incumbents that are basically coming into this space to base to the most agile fintech companies or startups that are essentially specifically targeting and setting up their operations uh, in the cryptocurrency space okay so let's go back to you've got this massive growth on uh you've raised a lot of money and what what, what do you what do you need it for so uh, there are a couple of things. First and foremost, we have a strong investment in technology and product. Uh, the fact that, uh, that this is a very fast-paced industry, you know, you continuously need to innovate. You continuously need to to push on uh, the development uh, that we are doing. So you know, if a year ago people were expecting us to support specific protocols and doing staking, you know, mid-year people expected us to support four different variants of uh, connectivity into DeFi. 
And clearly now we have a lot of things to do around, you know, NFT, tokenized securities, uh, a lot of, you know, there are new innovation, there is new innovation all the time. And we're planning to basically double the engineering team. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, clearly uh, the, there are a lot of customers that need uh, our help in getting set up with infrastructure. Uh, so we need the uh, account management coverage, right? So basically salespeople that are able to interact and manage uh, the customers and, and uh, equip them with the technology. And uh, we're also very well known for our support and, and, and customer operations, right? So. Um, we already actually doubled the team over there, over you know this quarter, and we will need to double it in the next quarter as well. So there is a bit, basically a pretty massive uh, allocation of capital into, um, I would say, pre-allocating resources to something that we do view as a, a substantial growth. That's part of the usage of the capital. The other part is actually uh, more, I would say, let's call it uh, making sure that uh, uh, we are a long-term player for our clients. Um, so um, I think there are two things that uh, our clients want to, to guarantee. Uh, well, maybe like start, we'll start with the obvious, clearly an infrastructure player that is sort of in the plumbing uh, of the services that our customers are running uh, is expected to, to, to provide a very resilient type of service. And resiliency also means that they need, they they don't expect to re-platform to a different provider uh, over a short period of time. Um, so the financial stability of the firm is important for them. And that financial stability means that we have enough capital to, to uh, sustain, you know, even fairly long, potentially downturns in, in the market, right? As we call them crypto winters, uh, which you know, just generally, I think, uh, part of this market, so hopefully it's not going to happen again. Hopefully everything from here going to be a smooth, uh, smooth ride up, up and to the right, right? But uh, we also need to to prepare ourselves for something that is unexpected. Um, and the other aspect of it is really independence, right? So recently, I think there is with a lot of incumbents with big pockets coming into this space. And uh, we're starting to see some consolidation uh, in between the smaller players. Uh, clearly, the number of you know incumbents um, exceeds the number of just you know infrastructure providers out there, just in general, right? So um, I think everyone need to basically take a decision, you know, if they want to partner, if they want to build, or if they want to buy, but. What we want to make sure that, that to guarantee to people that they want to partner and they want to select who is the best partner that they know that they can partner with us and you know we will be there, you know this year, next year, in three years, in five years, and uh, we're not going to basically be consolidated into their competitor. Yeah, you've also brought on board some institutions as shareholders in this round: Bank of New York Mellon, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, what is the the nature of these relationships and why do you want to work with these particular institutions? What's the value that they're going to bring to you besides just writing a check? Well, they're clients. Let's <laughs> start with the obvious. So I think that uh, part of uh, um, I think part of the deal of them becoming a client and I think that relying on our infrastructure is extremely strategic for them, right? Um, in some ways, you know, if you're a bank or if you're a custodial bank um, and you view digital assets as your future, right? 
Fireblocks becomes your core banking system. Fireblocks becomes basically the infrastructure that the future of your business is, uh, relies on, right? Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they, they are not big shareholders. They're actually fairly small shareholders in, in our company. And I think that they are uh, both, you know, symbolic and uh, and true aspects around, you know, a partnership and alignment of interest uh, that uh, we know, they know that they can grow with us. We know that we can grow with them. And, uh, um, you know, this market is actually going to grow uh, sort of, you know, we, we think that this market is, is going to grow substantially. So the alignment of interest is important. And for them, it's important to be even, you know, even if small shareholders, still some shareholders and part of our success. Yeah, okay. Uh I don't know if it's you or if I read it somewhere, but uh, Fireblocks has been likened to sort of the Swift for crypto. Uh, I don't know if, uh, what's the biggest difference between you and Swift in the traditional world? Um, so first of all, it's the underlying technology, right? I mean, in some ways, the the way that assets are being, I mean, okay, let's start from the, from the beginning. I, I think that the biggest difference between blockchain and the traditional world is how assets clear, right? Where in the traditional world, we have this basically double booking system and eventually there is sort of an offset of the balances that eventually will propagate through the, you know, one bank to a completely different bank, right? Through, through that system. In blockchain, there is an instantaneous peer-to-peer -peer transfer on this decentralized ledger, right? Um, the way that Swift, Swift works, as we all know, is sort of propagation of those messages that is uh, highly uh, applicable for, you know, negotiating or, 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 in, or, or basically coordinating those value transfers in the old world where if you send money from, from Singapore to a bank in the United States, you might have like 10 intermediary banks that eventually will offset those balances. It will take those it, it, you know, international transfers take 24 to three days to clear, right? Usually if the money is not lost somewhere in the middle and then people need to figure out in which intermediary bank it, it's, it is stuck. Um, on blockchain, it's instantaneous, right? And, and it's peer-to-peer, -peer, you don't have all those intermediaries. And that just requires a very different technology and also a technology that solves a completely different set of problems, right? So... Um, first of all, uh, the main, some of the issues that uh, exist with blockchain, they don't exist in the old world. The first one is that blockchain is open, like the public blockchains are open, right? Which means that there is no context of identity. Clearly, there is no con context of inst institutional identity. That's the first thing that we bring into that, uh, into that uh, equation. The right. second so blocks provides some of that comfort level around identity, identity and verification so that licensed institutions can do business. Right. And the second thing is that because of the instantaneous settlement, uh, you know, if, if you basically look at Swift, you, you have a reasonable amount of time for recourse. And generally speaking, the assets over there are, can, can be recourse to the point that if we take an, an, an example of probably the most uh, catastrophic thing that happened ever happened to SWIFT was the breach in 2017 or 16, where the North Koreans essentially hacked uh, multiple terminals and eventually redirected, uh, tried to redirect over a billion dollars of assets. Eventually, they were able to only get $80 million out, mostly because it took time. There were recourse mechanisms, and eventually analysts had the opportunity to, you know, to basically withhold 
those transactions before they actually reached their uh, final destination and were, uh, um, you know, were shuffled outside of the banking system. Right. This in is one where the, the Federal Reserve in New York spotted some some errors in the typing from the Bank of Bangladesh. I think is that the case you're referring to? Yeah, there were like a couple of those, but 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 it it was uh, I think initially the, the 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 it was actually I think in Germany the the analyst in Deutsche Bank, but it, it, we were talking about the same incident. The, the main incident was was basically eventually the the bank that was most affected was the Bangladesh Bank. Yeah. Um, the in in blockchain what we've seen a lot of the attacks that are actually happening are attacks from a similar nature where basically there is a redirection of the of the transfer uh, the only issue is that with blockchain because it's an open ecosystem it's peer-to-peer -peer, it's instantaneous the assets are gone immediately right so if someone would have redirected a billion dollar of transfer it's gone right yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Fireworks basically solves this issue, and it's not only an issue of identity, which is important. And argue, and by the way, in some uh, ways, we do use even the formatting, the formatting um, identification that uh, is compatible with the ISO uh, to twenty oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, but but the main issue over there is that. The technology that is required to really protect those transfers is extreme, extremely different. Our, our technology is really built to protect the, the real time, the non-recursive nature. And it's not a technology that was invented in the 70s. It's, it's a technology that was that is relying on the newest uh, on the newest improvements and the newest uh, innovation in cloud security, uh, in, in cryptography, and they're they're being utilized to basically create a security around those transfers. Which where, you know, you know, where were you seeing the security threats coming from when it comes to to blockchain and peer to peer transfers of value? Uh, is it inside jobs? Is it state actors? Uh, is it a, a kid in the basement somewhere? Um, what's the uh, what's the threat spectrum? <laughs> so, yeah, so unfortunately, all all, you know, all the above, uh, and that's that's actually the reality. Uh, actually, in in 2018, I remember that I was talking with a with a cybersecurity focused VC, and I told them, in the next couple of years, you see that the only thing that the cyber criminals will be focused on is cryptocurrency. The reason for that is that you know the 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 future of money, it's the internet of money, right? And arguably, there is no reason for anyone to basically go after any other target, right? Because uh, it already has uh, value. So. In, in practice, you actually see uh, any threat actor, which is like, you know, from the kid in the basement, from the script kitty, as we call, call them, to the nation states, uh, to the, uh, to, and a lot of it is actually insider, right? So there is, a, there is actually statistics from, I think, Verizon uh, 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 data breach report that shows that 50% of the attacks actually had an insider involved, right? It's just general statistic in the industry, not, not really specific to... Uh, to, to crypto, but in crypto, what we're seeing is actually almost the same thing. Um, nation, nation actors are fairly active. Most of the nation state actors that you actually see active over there is really North Korea and sort of, uh, 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 you know, regimes that um, they have economic sanctions and basically cryptocurrency, uh, hacking cryptocurrency or basically obtaining those assets 
uh, is actually able uh, is, is a mean for them to add to their balance sheet okay just like very uh eco there are pure uh, nation nation level economic reasons to do that and clearly they are able to deploy uh, very sophisticated resources into those attacks yeah. how do they wash the how do they wash the the tokens or the coins i mean if if you can trace what's been stolen so theoretically it'd be very hard to then put those back into the marketplace yeah, so I think that uh, um, unfortunately the the tracking uh, tools are not yet uh, as deployed as we wish, right? So in in theory, if everyone had every wallet, every every venue had a chain analysis integrated in, and by the way, DeFi is also to a certain level uh, part of uh, the opportunity for them because right now there is no uh in, in the DeFi protocols they actually don't have any mechanism right now to okay uh, yeah to kyc or to identify the source of those uh, transactions but but overall even i think there is a lot of emphasis on DeFi on that on those things which part of it is actually going through there but unfortunately those tools are not yet widely deployed uh, across all uh, the different uh players that serve as the laundering point. Um, and furthermore, I, there is still a significant delay in terms of the speed to report. Mm. Okay, so, you know, even going, you know, going out outside of the, the level of nation state actor, we, we've seen, you know, we helped investigate quite a few of the it's not script kit is they are more sophisticated and more well or a more organized crime i would say um but the, by the time that we are able to propagate the information um it's sometimes too late right it's it's unfortunately uh, a bit of a maturity issue of our of our ecosystem and to be honest everybody are very cooperative you'll call any big exchange and tell them, hey, this wallet, here's an indication that this wallet was used for hacking. Um, and, you know, I've done some of those calls my, myself for, for people that, that approached us. Um, they, they're very responsive, right? But the, the, the protocols and the time that it takes to basically coordinate all that because of the instantane instantaneous nature of, uh, of those settlements, sometimes it's just too late. Right, okay. Um, one last question on this topic is, uh, I guess we're sort of in a race. On the one hand, we're, we're talking about the mainstreaming of crypto, uh, the entrance of central bank digital currencies. You mentioned NFTs, um, uh, stable coins, the lot. Uh, and at the same time, you know, rising interest from attackers and bad actors. Um, if I have some crypto on my phone and I want to either invest it or use it in some way, uh, you know, how worried do I need to be that the, you know, that this race is not going to be won by the right people? Um, it's just general question around cybersecurity. So, <laughs> cybersecurity, and you know, I spent twenty years in in that race, and unfortunately, it's just a race, right? It's basically a mouse and cat game, and I don't think we. And it wasn't, by the way, different in the traditional banking. Uh, right. space. Um, I think people are very focused on the losses or, or the hacks that we're seeing in the crypto space. 
the hacks and the amount of money that is stolen currently in the traditional financial system is order of magnitudes of what we're actually seeing here. So just to give some perspective, in 2000, I think, uh, 19 or 20, uh, the amount of assets that were lost uh, from corporations where there was what we call business email compromise. So basically someone fished the CFO and asked the CFO, uh, you know, hey, I'm the CEO, you need to do this transaction immediately. It's about, you know, $4 billion, right? It's not small amounts. Uh, the FBI is actually publishing a, an annual report on those on those uh, compromises. When, when when online banking started back in sort of 2005 to 2012, uh, there was the, the organized groups in, in, uh, out of Eastern Europe on an annual basis, they were able to compromise $100 million, right? From uh, those online bank accounts. Eventually, as a cybersecurity, as, as, as a... As an industry, we were able to solve and basically mitigate a lot of those attacks. They continue shifting. I think this is part of the, this is sort of also what excites me in my profession. You know, I wake up, then I, I will wake up tomorrow and what was relevant today is no longer, no, no longer relevant tomorrow because we are dealing with people on the other side that are innovative and sophisticated as us. So I don't think they're going to win. I think that we are going to, to win, but I also think that it will require significant investments. I also think that, by the way, there is a big opportunity specifically with this technology, if things will actually work the way that they're supposed to work, uh, if, if the investments will be there, I think that we will actually uh, bring this to a much more resilient state than the traditional banking system, because, Inherently, because we are dealing with cryptographic elements and the underlying blockchain is very secure, right? The Bitcoin blockchain, the Ethereum blockchain are designed with the security and the resiliency components. Um, as long as if we are able to properly invest in the perimeter, uh, we will be able to, to, to bring this into a much more secure state. Now to your question about your, if you have a wallet on your mobile phone, at the end of the day, it's sort of a game of ROI, right? If you have, you know, two hundred dollars or like five or five thousand dollars on your phone, uh, and you're using a proper wallet, using a secure wallet, you're using an iPhone that is not jailbroken, or using an Android device that is actually uh, fairly patched, um, I don't think that there is an issue. I think that you're actually fairly secure, potentially more secure than with your, uh, you know, bank account. Um, if you will hold a billion dollars or you know, half a billion dollars on your phone, I think that this is unwise because basically to buy an exploit to a fully patched iPhone on the, uh, on the, on the dark web will cost someone $3 million, right? So there is a, an, a very clear arbitrage of, you know, buying three million, an exploit for $3 million and then, you know, being able to obtain half a billion dollars. I think it's no brainer for people that know how to do it and where to obtain it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm in the media business, so I don't ever have to worry about having a million dollars worth of anything on my wallet. But for those who <laughs> might take take some tips from uh, Michael Solov, um, you have a, a recent announcement with a first group regarding uh, onboarding DM, the, uh, the stable coin that we're all expecting to come out of the DM Association, which is backed by Facebook, among others. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this came to be and, and what you think is the vision for for stable coins like DM and perhaps other uh, corporate coins? 
Yeah. Um, so we were sort of involved in the in the peripherals of, of the DM or liberal project, uh, just like tracking and 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 uh, being fairly close to the association from the, from the early days. Um, I'm a big believer actually in their project, so personally, because I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, Facebook and the players in the association, they have enough user base and also a track record of pretty slick user experience of bringing things to the masses, right? They, they have the expertise. Some of the people that are, that are working on the say the wallet, the, you know, the experience that uh, will be, ex that in terms of how this will be, ex be exposed to the users are some of the brightest you know, minds in, in technology and, and, and consumer, you know, consumer internet. Um, our play there with first is that um, eventually the, 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 those new forms of stable coins and specifically DM is actually designed for commerce, right? So in my view, it's sort of designed, uh, it's, it's designed, you know, the, to replace the dollars and to replace the credit cards, right? Uh, and there is a good argument of why to replace the dollars because I cannot send those dollars over the, you know, over the internet. And there is a good argument of why to replace the credit cards because we are paying 3% uh, transaction fees on, on, on every payment and it takes 48 hours to, to clear on the other side. Um, what we basically built is an infrastructure for merchants to um, whether those are online merchants or uh, in-store also uh, to be able to leverage an infrastructure, basically create merchant grade wallets where they can receive those payments and eventually do uh, treasury management for their business uh, with DM that they are obtaining. So, you know, you arguably in day one, they probably are not going to pay salaries for employees. So uh, the ability to basically offer them that to the FX currency that they need to, to pay the salaries and, and, and do the treasury. And, you know, hopefully down the road when this will be something that uh, the, 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 those stable coins will be something that people will uh, be keen to maintain um, as a as a treasury position, they will be we will be able to add functionalities uh, in in the form of uh, interest accounts and things like that. Right now, um, to your question about uh, corporate stable coins uh, like USDC and and some of the other uh, stable coins that are currently coming out. Um, I think that our view over there is that it's a very powerful tool for B2B commerce or B2B uh, transactions. Uh, personally at Fireblocks, we actually, I think collect probably 30% right now, 25% of, uh, of our invoicing and basically the collection on our invoicing is done through stablecoins. So we, we don't actually accept a sort of volatile cryptocurrencies. We only accept you know, wire, ACH, credit cards, but our preferred method of collection became USDC uh, and some of the other stable coins because of the cost, the efficiency, the programmability, and eventually also access to pretty sophisticated uh, interest mechanisms through DeFi like Compound or Avi. What do you think will be, out of all of these different emerging areas of the crypto universe, uh, 
the, I guess the, the biggest growth area for you this year, what are you most excited about out of all of these things? There, there are sort of two to three areas that we are very excited about. The first one is just generally speaking crypto, predominantly Bitcoin, because we have a lot of those incumbents that are coming in. And the first thing that they want to do is to basically allow their clients to buy and sell uh, Bitcoin. Um, the area that I think is, is actually going to, to be a real breakthrough and where we're going to see a lot of innovation for us is um, stable coins and the specifically the cross section between stable coins and DeFi, right? So we are working on quite a few interesting things on the DeFi space with some of the DeFi protocols that they will directly impact the utilization of stable coins in an institutional way. Um, so we're both working hard with some of the banks and some of the uh, incumbents on basically bringing more corporate stable coins uh, to, to the market or basically um, commercial stable coins, commercial money, commercial money based stable coins uh, to the market. And in parallel, basically investing in DeFi protocols that will uh, create uh, very interesting things that people can do with them. With regard to NFT, I think right now there is a lot of momentum about it in the in the consumer space. There are there is a lot of discussion uh, in the institutional space as well. I don't know if you will see the critical mass there in 2021. Maybe maybe towards the end of the year. Okay. Last question is: uh, How does the industry deal with some of the environmental issues around proof of work based uh, protocols like Bitcoin? Um, what are what are the solutions that can be? You know, you're an infrastructure plumbing person. What are some of the ways that infrastructure can can perhaps mitigate uh, the worst uh, effects uh, on on the environment of of all the electricity consumed by digital assets yeah so to be honest i'm very i'm actually a very environmental uh, person so th this aspect is actually something that i do think a lot about and uh, first and foremost it's it's sort of not very clear where we are at the moment because it's uh, probably somewhere between 40 percent to 70 percent of the mining is being done uh, uh, through renewable uh, sources i actually asked uh, one, uh, one of our uh, sales ladies that is very plugged into the um, Chinese, you know, mining ecosystem. What she thinks the numbers are, she thinks that it's about forty percent. So probably we are not in the worst case scenarios people describe that this consumes the same amount of energy as Chile, but uh, we are also not in a really good place, right? It's still fairly concerning numbers. Um, the next thing that I think is now happening is basically twofold. One. Um, there are basically the proof of uh, stake protocols that are becoming more and more mature. I think we all hope that ETH2 will come sooner than uh, what, where it is, but I think that other protocols like, uh, um, you know, um, Cordano, for example, right, is basically picking up. And if we will not see, I, I think that basically outside of Bitcoin, all the other protocols will need to go into some form of proof of stake or something which is not as wasteful from an energy standpoint as the proof of work. Probably not going to happen tomorrow morning, but you know the brightest minds are, are working on that and hopefully we'll see it happening in the next 24 months. The second aspect is basically optimization of proof of work where there are a lot of startups that are doing very interesting things over there, right? So there are startups that are, that are figuring out how to use uh, excessive energy that is anyway being wasted. I've seen probably like, you know, three or four different startups that are doing that. Um, 
And, in, and hopefully we'll see also some form of regulation. So we've seen that in China, uh, in Mongolia, I think uh, recently, basically where they banned uh, some of the activities over there and tell them, well, you know, you're not allowed to basically use that kind of energy to do what you're doing. So I think that if, if there is an area where the regulators should probably step in is around dictating uh, you know, renewable energy standards around this kind of activity, um, which I think the combination of the two should probably get us into a state that we will all feel much comfortable about the future of this market. Great. Michael Shalov, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much and good luck with your next steps. Thank you so much. <laughs>